Well, guys, the last few weeks, in fact, all summer, we have been going through a series of sermons talking about the foundations of family, the kinds of things that a strong, capable, functioning family are built on. And we've, we've taken a look at things like the foundation of Jesus and spiritual habits that are important. We've taken a look at roles in the home between the mom and the dad, and, and we've, we've talked about how all of us can have an influence through the way we communicate with people and the way we share those things that are important to us with the generation that follows. As we wrap up this morning, we're going to talk about one last bit of a foundation for family. And it's one that maybe is a little bit less exciting than some of these things, but it really kind of summarizes for us not only the work of a family, but really the work of a church family as well. Because we're going to talk about what it is our purpose as people who are preparing the next generation. And we're going to talk about Three things, all of them begin with P, so hopefully we can remember them, but three things that every family and every church should be doing every day. Those three things up front are to provide, protect, and prepare our children and the next generation to take on the mantle of responsibility that God has laid at our feet. And so we're going to talk about how do we do those things? How do we make certain that we are accomplishing the purpose that God has put us here for? There's a lot of things that we invest in in life, but none of them really are as important to us as family. And we've, we've, we've talked about how that we often will, will give a lot more attention sometimes to, to much smaller issues than, than our families. And so this morning in our time together, we're just going to pause and we're going to ask ourselves, how do I do these three things? How do I provide? How do I protect? And how do I prepare my family? Some of you, this will be obvious because you'll have little children that are still home, that are underfoot, that are, are still a part of your life and are still in need every day of your, of your care and, and, and love and cooperation. Some of you maybe are looking at this and you're like, you know what, my kids are in college right now or they're young adults or maybe they have families of their own. There'll be something for all of us because these three things are things that we will do with somebody until the day we die if we are an answering God's mission for our life. So let's talk about the first one on that list this morning. What does it mean to prepare the, or provide for the next generation? It's a really important question um, because sometimes we can just say we'll provide and we automatically think of financial things. I'm providing for food, clothing, and shelter. And those are all important things, and we will talk about those in a moment. But provision is really a lot more than just providing the essentials for life. I had an old friend that, that used to say about certain kids, he's like, Jason, it's not all their fault. They, they were fed, but they were never raised. And I understood exactly what he meant, and probably you do as well this morning. It's one thing to feed and clothe a child, but it's another thing to raise a child. It's one thing to provide the, the ingredients for somebody to build a life on, but it's another thing to show people how to build their life. And God has called us to not just provide but to provision. And those two ideas are, are very different from one another in many ways. In 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy's setting up churches in a lot of places with people who really don't know a whole lot about Christianity or about, about the ethics that God has delivered to us. And so there's some teaching here that's just general, but this particular teaching is about how important it is to provide for your family. And you notice in 1 Timothy 5, the Apostle Paul says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So when we're talking about providing, we're not just talking about maybe an optional thing or it's nice to kind of thing. But Paul said, if you don't manage to provide the things that the people under your care need, you're, you're, you've denied the faith. Because if we think about this for a second this morning, Mr. Banks is going to come after service and he's going to talk a little bit about this, give you guys a spoiler alert right there. But God provided for our needs, hasn't he? Every one of us had, had well, several needs. We were put in a perfect world in many, many ways. We blew that with sin. But all of us had a problem, and that was that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has gone to his own way. And Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. We all had a sin problem, and our Heavenly Father recognized that we had a need, 
and provided a solution for that need. God will never ask us to do something that he himself was not willing to do first. But because God was willing to provide for our need at the cost of, his life, of the life of his son, Paul recognizes that God now has a right to demand that we also provide what those around us need. He said, if you don't provide that, you have denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. There's another thing quickly that I want to point out about provision before we jump into the specifics of this. And that is, is that when God provides for us, he doesn't just provide for one element of our life. He provides for a whole person. And some of us will be like, you know what, Jason, I'm good. I go to work every day and I bring home money and I put it in a bank my family's provided for. But maybe your family needs more than just your financial support. Maybe your kids need more than just your money. Maybe they need your emotional support. Maybe they need to have a relationship with you as well. There's five things that I think every kid needs. And as adults, we have a responsibility providing those. And again, these are things that families provide, certainly, but they're also things that church families should be providing. The first of those things is that we provide a reliable environment. You might say, if you wanted a shorter way of putting this, security. That, that there's a place for them to be safe. If you look around creation, almost every animal instinctually, re- instinctually recognizes this, right? Birds build little nests high in a tree to keep their chicks safe. A lot of animals build burrows in the ground with a, with a secure opening to provide for that secure environment. And children need that security as well. Now, we're going to talk about personal safety in a moment. I think a lot of times when we think about security, we think about physical safety, and that's certainly part of it, but just part of it. Our kids also need to have that re- a reliable environment that they can trust so that they can, they can grow. As kids begin to develop, their, their senses are heightened, and, and they begin to take in the world around them. And in those first few years, they begin to get a real opinion about people and about life and about how they can exist in the world. And if there's constant moving around, if there's constant uncertainty, if there's emotional tension in the air, a lot of times those kids who are very perceptive pick up on that and they begin to, they begin to see the whole world through the lens of their environment as children. I think all of us recognize that there's never a home that is always perfect. There's never a couple that always is in harmony. But we're talking about goals to shoot for this morning. Every one of us, as we go through this list of five things, will recognize that there are times that those don't exist in our homes. But if we're working toward those things, they will exist more than they don't exist. And having that reliable environment can provide our kids with a very valuable resource Believe it or not, research and I think just life experience tells us that kids love the familiarity that comes with a routine. I know a lot of us like the idea of just not having any routine, right? But but routine really provides us with some important things. It helps us to understand appropriate boundaries, which we need personally, and we also sometimes have to set in our life around us for other people who don't understand correct boundaries. And as our kids age, they begin to express their own boundaries on the environment in which they live in and on the people that are a part of their life. And so if we want our young people, whether they're church family or whether they're our own children, to understand how to set proper boundaries, we've got to provide them with a secure environment to learn that as children. The second thing on my my list of... Actually, let, let me... Let me talk a little quickly about financial needs. I skipped over that because that is an important thing, right? And and I think we do need to financially care for kids' needs. Um, I think that's very, very important. In fact, Paul writes this to the church in Colossae, and and he spent a good bit of time in, excuse me, in the Corinthian church, um, partially because he had to, right? It It was a troubled church. There was always friction there. But he writes this in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, now I'm ready to visit you for a third time. And I will not be a burden to you because what I want is, your, is not your possessions, but you. And it's a brilliant statement. You could really print, or 
present an entire sermon just based on that statement that Paul made. He said, I'm not in this for me. And there's so many people that are in the name of religion in it for themselves, right? The Apostle Paul is, is reinforcing to these Christians in Corinth, look, guys, I'm not coming there just to eat from your table and to kind of sap money off from the efforts that you guys have going there. I'm not there for me. I'm there because of you. But then he says this. He said, after all, children don't save up for their parents their parents for their children. Paul just recognized that, it, that, that it's the natural role for parents and those who are older and more experienced and a little bit more secure to be able to provide for the needs of that generation that's coming up. It's just a basic instinct that we have to provide that environment for kids to flourish. But what kinds of things inhabit that environment? I think one of the most important things is that that environment be an opportunity or full of opportunities for kids to grow. Early on in Jesus' ministry, in Luke the 10th chapter, there's this very interesting thing that happens. Jesus has collected around him a group of people that are his followers. Jesus, the perfect son of God, is in active ministry. And he calls them together. And I bet you know the first part of this because in verse 2, He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus looked around in the same way that we might look around today. And he's like, there's way more work to do than people doing it. There's way more souls to reach than people who are equipped and have the proper attitude to reach them. And so He said, guys, we need you to pray that the Lord sends out harvesters into his harvest. It's not ours, it's his. But then notice what Jesus does. He said, go on your way. Behold, I am sending you out, notice this metaphor, as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus is providing these 72 people with an opportunity to grow. You might think, well, what better opportunity would you have to grow than to walk and to live and to see and to witness the workings of the master teacher, the healer, the creator of the universe? I mean, is there any better opportunity than just to be with Jesus to grow? And Jesus said, yes, there is a better opportunity than being physically with me. And that is for you to go out and with your own hands and with your own heart to begin to engage in ministry. Those 72 will return after a period of time. It wasn't an open-ended commitment. They were going to go and they were going to come back again. But when they came back, I can guarantee you they came back changed because now they hadn't just witnessed others doing. They hadn't just heard about. They hadn't just been educated in. They had participated. They knew the struggle. They knew the emotion. They knew the fear. They knew the challenge that existed. And so the rest of their time with Jesus was that much deeper and that much richer because they were in an environment that was designed to challenge them to grow. Guys, I think that kids will not grow unless we give them a chance to. If all we expect of them is to sit on the couch and to play video games to do things that are safe, they will just grow to the size of the container that we say they're capable of growing to. But I think kids are capable of doing far more sometimes than we naturally give them credit for. When my girls were little, I read them a book. I'm trying to think of the girl's name. I meant to figure it out in the gap, and I, I, I knew it when I wrote the sermon, but I'm terrible at names, so you guys know that. Um, this young gal at 14 years of age got onto a sailboat by herself and attempted to sail around the world. And there were a lot of people that, in fact, the government of the country she was from, she was from Holland, attempted to impose an injunction against the parents on grounds of child abuse Because they said it was abusive to send her out to sea. Now, I'm not saying it's smart to send your kid alone in a sailboat out on the world's mighty oceans. But what I am saying is that this girl made it a good bit of the way. And when she returned from that trip, she had something that could never be taken away from her. A structure of experience that had caused her to learn to grow. Guys, time is something that we cannot hold back. 
And, and sometimes we want to kind of hold back our kids, and we just want to keep them little. But the truth is that every morning that we get up, we're one day closer to our end point, and our kids are one day closer to stepping from the door of our house into the world. We can't stop time. We can't stop that growing process. All we can do is provide them opportunities to make the very best exit that they can make. That environment, conducive for them to grow, involves learning to give them the opportunity to grow. But it also involves connections. You notice that Jesus sent out the 72, but then he's going to bring them back, and he's going to have kind of a debrief time with them, and then they're going to spend a good bit of time in ministry with Jesus before Jesus subsequently goes to the cross and then returns to the Father. We all need connections. God put Adam in a garden, perfect man, perfect world, perfect job, perfect everything, except God said it is not good because Adam was alone. We were designed by our Creator to have relationships with others and we, we've got to prioritize that. And our children need that. Some of you guys are maybe a bit like me. I'm a little of a workaholic. If you give me a project, if you give me a job, I'm going to lock in on that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. And when I come home from work, I'm, I'm, I'm one to go out into the shop and work till 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. And, and at some point when my girls were growing up, I realized that my girls loved me and I loved my girls, but we didn't have a connection together. Because I was constantly either here or doing ministry there or I was out in my shop or I was doing things that were important things. Moms and dads, there's nothing more important than connecting with the heart of your kids. And I know it's hard because sometimes our kids are just like us, right? And so we're just like automatic buddies. We get along great. But sometimes, I don't know, the Lord in his wisdom provides us with children that don't look like us and they don't think like us and they don't react to things the way we react to things. And we're like, where did you come from, child, right? And I think sometimes God does that because he's helping us to grow too. See, we, we aren't alone as dads. We're being fathered by the perfect father. We're being guided by one who wants us to grow too. Matthew 19, in verse 14, Jesus is in the middle of that busy stuff, that important life. When a bunch of little kids just inundate his personal space. And the apostles here, thinking they're doing Jesus a favor, attempt to shoo these kids away because the master has important things to do. And Jesus stopped the show. You guys know this in verse 14. He said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. I don't want to misrepresent Jesus in this text, but I have an idea that if we were there, there was the slightest of aggravation in his voice. That's strong language, even in the Greek. Do not hinder them. Do not make it difficult for them. Let the little children come to me. And then he says, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. If you don't know about Jesus, Jesus loved kids. He absolutely loved to have kids around. And I don't think the scripture probably records a lot of the time. But I'm just guessing that when Jesus came over and he's sitting in the living room or he's sitting out in the courtyard, he's hanging out with the kids as much as he is the adults. Because Jesus knows something that we know but we like to forget. And that is that those little kids who, in generations past, they said should be seen but not heard, those little kids are going to soon be the leaders of the world and the carriers of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus wanted those little ones to come to him early and to stay with him long. We need to figure out how to connect with our kids. And if we aren't doing that, prioritize those connections Because when kids are little, they find comfort in people who care for them. And the ones who comfort them when they're afraid or they're hurt are the people that they will trust when they're older and are afraid and are hurting. And you know, there's a lot of research that's been done over the last few years, and I just find this mind-blowing because a lot of times you, you bring that little baby home from the hospital, right, and you have it all wrapped up. And, and I always joke about little babies, like the first six months of their life or the first four, four months of their life, they just do three things. They sleep, they eat, and they dirty their diaper, right? That's just about it. And yet, 
If kids don't have meaningful connections in those first three months of their life, they will probably deal with the ramifications of that for the rest of their life. They'll have emotional insecurity, they'll have self esteem challenges. Multiple personality disorders sometimes fit into that because they're trying to figure out which of them can connect with their parent. Moms and dads, I don't think we realize how important it is to connect with our kids. The fourth thing, I can't count, fourth thing in that list of five is that our children need encouragement. As brilliant as the Apostle Paul was, as as hard-spirited as he was, as determined as he was to carry the message of the gospel to the farthest ends of the world, we may never have had the Apostle Paul if we hadn't had an encourager named Barnabas. At least on three occasions, the Apostle Paul would go, or pardon me, Barnabas would go and find and encourage Barnabas to do what it was that God had created him to do. Sometimes we think, well, well, if if my kids want to do it, then they should do it on their own. That whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. If you've never tried to do that sometimes, just do that at home. Don't don't do that with anyone around. Just try to pull yourself up with your bootstraps. All you're going to do is strain yourself. That's it, right? It is impossible to pull yourself up with yourself. Sometimes all of us need a helping hand, and certainly that's the case with kids. And what better helping hand than the ones who brought them into the world? I believe that kids will live up to whatever is said to them most. And so if we say to our kids that you're stupid, that you're dumb, that you can't do this or that, that you'll never amount, that you're just like somebody else whose life is a mess, it's very possible that they will live up exactly to what it is that we've expected for them. But if we go to our kids and we say, I believe that you can be better than you are right now. I believe you have more potential than you even recognize. I believe you can accomplish things that are so far off your radar, you don't even know they can be accomplished, but you can do it. I have seen kids that shouldn't have but did because someone believed in them. And it's so simple. We just need to encourage them. You know, God created within us an enormous amount of potential, and yet sometimes we fail to recognize that those little hearts and the little lives that squish up our couches and dirty up our kitchen sinks and mess up the table are created in His image. That God maybe created one of them to do something that we might not even have considered possible yet. I love to see, and I think that this generation of parents, I think you guys are doing a much better job at encouraging and being involved in the lives of your kids and maybe some of the generations in the past, and I want to give you guys uh, kudos for that. But I I do want to ask you one question, because I I see a lot of parents that are building in the athletic talent of their kids, and I think it's awesome that kids are athletic and they learn how to work that body and they they kind of coordinate that together. And there's a lot of things athletics teach us about determination and about strong-mindedness. I see a lot of parents that that believe in the academic talent of their kids and, and, and they really push them to become good in school and to get the best grades possible. And they should because our kids are bright and we have a great education system in America today. And, it, and kids are not realizing their potential because the parents aren't pushing and supporting those kids. Any school teacher will tell you that. I see a lot of parents that are are providing for their kids musical ability. Man, when I was a kid, we had to buy our, here I go, right? When I was a kid, when I was a kid, we had to buy our own musical instruments, right? And, and, and the other day, some kid showed up with this guitar, and I'm like, dude, I don't have that good of a guitar. And I'm, I don't know how old I am. Um, I'm jealous of you right there, but they're supporting those kids, uh, their musical talent. I think that's awesome because music is a gift that you can use the rest of your life, and it just really speaks to our heart. I think God created us to be musical as God created us to be artistic, and I love seeing parents encourage kids to to become artistic and to draw and to paint. Man, that's awesome. You know, our world values both of those things, or that that whole group of things, because they really fall into two categories. 
the physical. We want that body to be fit. We, 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 want that, we want that strength to be there. We want that coordination. We want, to, we want to be the best physical people we can be. And hey, take care of your physical body. If you're young here today, don't abuse it because it's the only one you've got. And when you get older, you will know every time you broke and abused your body. I'm all for it. And, and, and our, world, our world today acknowledges that the mind is this beautiful thing that shouldn't be wasted. And we, we pour a lot of energy into academics. And we encourage kids to go to college and, and to use their minds to provide for their families vocationally. And I am all for it. But that's where our world stops. And sometimes as parents, we stop there too. God did not create us just to be mind and body. God created us in his image, which means that we are both mind, body, and spirit. Can I ask you as parents today how much you are encouraging your kids spiritually? Because no one else is going to. Outside of the work of the church family and outside of your own personal investment, there's almost no spiritual investment in the world because we... We as a culture have taken an evolutionary viewpoint of the world. And so in evolution, there's no need for for a spirituality. And while it gives people who are honest evolutionists a lot of problems, why do we have morals? Why do we have the desire to connect with people outside of just our needs for basic survival? The truth is, is that the academic and physical world around us has no real investment in things spiritual. And so that will absolutely have to happen in your home and in the church family. How much are we encouraging our kids spiritually? Because so much of who we become and what we know about the Word of God comes from our childhood. Paul writes Timothy, who is this super useful young man. And he's an evangelist working in very difficult places amongst Gentile believers who don't have that background that he grew up in, and Paul reminds him of that in 2 Timothy 3. He says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which have been able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. One of the things I'm blown away by is, is this church family. I want to brag on you guys a little bit this morning, but this church family's dedication to equipping and encouraging kids spiritually. We had, what, 190-some kids for VBS, Mandy, something like that, and we had 112 volunteers. We, on many nights, we had as many volunteers as kids. And, and, and you know what, guys? That's huge. When, when those kids look around and they just see all these adults that are in those VBS shirts that are working together to make this big thing happen, that sends a powerful message to them, and that says to those kids, this church believes in my spiritual development. I'm blown away at how many of you guys will take off a week of work and pay to come to church camp to pour into the lives of your kids and other people's kids. That's unique. That is special thing that is a part of the fiber and the, and the culture of this church. And I'm proud of that. And you should be too. You know, every year at church camp, we, we have the kids memorize verses. If you've never been out there, they get a whole page of verses. And the first year kids come, they're like, I got to memorize this stuff, right? And I love it by the last years of church camp. And some of, sometimes even the helpers who are in their 20s are, are doing this memory work. And there's two lists. But between those two lists, there's about 70 of the most important Bible verses that, that you can find in Scripture. And most kids who grow up in church camp When they graduate, they know most of those verses. They're written on their heart, and it changes us. Let's encourage our kids spiritually. We do that by demonstrating our own Christian walk to our kids because really we can tell them how much ever we want is important, but if our walk doesn't match our talk, it kind of falls on deaf ears. So as parents, let's watch how we walk amongst our kids. Let's provide a prayer structure for our kids. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. My family, it was just prayers before bedtime at night at the side of the bed. And as the kids grew older, it was just a reminder, hey, have you guys prayed together? It's prayer around mealtime. I know those things are kind of insignificant in some ways, but they set a powerful example. They encourage our kids, think spiritually. 
Encourage Bible, Bible reading and Bible study early on. Ten minutes at night before you go to bed, just open up the Word. It can make a huge difference in the life of a student. The last of these five things that we provide to create that environment so that our kids have every opportunity to succeed is that we provide problem-solving skills. You know, there's a temptation with us as parents to fix everything. To make it easier than we had it. And you know, there's some times where that's appropriate. But the reality is, is that as soon as sin entered the world, God created work. It kind of came on the heels of it. You remember that the conversation he has with Adam and Eve? And, and he says, okay, Adam, you're going to have to till the ground, and you're going to have thorns, and you're going to have thistles, and you're going to have to go out and collect and gather. And Eve, you're going to have responsibilities when it comes to the things that are in your sphere, and there's going to be pain in childbirth. Why do you think God did that? Because he's mean? No. God realized that when you're living in a world with sin, that you're going to have to have problem-solving skills. Because it no longer was a game that was rigged to win. It was a game that was rigged to lose. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, there's one choice, it's yours, and there's no other temptations. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when Adam and Eve decided to take of that fruit, they opened Pandora's box and they allowed Satan to begin to have dominion in this world. And we see Satan's reach when Jesus was tempted by Satan. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Satan knew the tools and he knew how to play them. And he wasn't even worried about doing it on the Son of God. If Satan's willing to tempt Jesus, I'll guarantee you he's going to try to tempt us. And he's going to try to tempt our children. We need problem-solving skills. So what does that look like? Well, our role is not to come in and change and fix everything for the best for them. Sometimes we're doing them a disservice when we pick up after them rather than teaching them to do it themselves. When they forget their homework or they run out of gas, they need to experience those problems and they need to find solutions to those problems along with us side by side so that they will not just alleviate the problem, but they will learn to think things through ahead of time. God wanted Adam and Eve to know, and I think God wants our children to know, that life is full of consequences. And when you choose the right thing, there's good consequences. But when you choose the wrong thing, there's bad consequences. I remember a ton of these times, but there was one particular time. I was the world's worst for getting gas. Let's just be honest. I don't like to buy gas. It's no fun in buying gas, right? You go and you put it. I drove a truck in those days. You put gas in the truck. Five days later, you're putting more gas back in the truck. Nothing fun right there. I'd much rather spend my money on other things. And my dad would always tell me, Jason, keep your gas on the top half of your tank. It costs no more to keep your gas on the top. You guys have heard this speech before. Some of you are smiling. No more. It costs no more to keep it on the top half than the bottom half of the tank. But inevitably, right, I would fill up my tank at some moment of great, great money as a kid. And then I would spend let it get below half, and then I would think, oh, I want to go out and eat pizza with my buddies, so I'll put gas tomorrow. And then the next day, I want to go do this thing, I'll put gas. And pretty soon, I run out of gas. One night, I, I ran out of gas, middle of the country, nowhere. And uh, in, in those days, we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> so I, I'm out in the middle of the country, and I'm walking down the road because I didn't have any gas in my truck either. And, uh, and I get to a farmhouse, and I go up to the farmhouse, and there was actually a guy out in the barn. He let me use the phone in the barn. I called home. 515-842-6652, phone rings, mom answers. said, hey, mom, uh, what's wrong? Where are you at? I'm out of gas. She said, let me, let me tell your dad. <laughs> dad gets on the phone. What's up, kid? I'm out of gas. What you going to do about it? Well, I was calling you and hoping you could bring me a gas can. He said, there's one in the shed. Come and get it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty far from town. He wasn't worried. <laughs> he just let me walk. I walked clear in, clear into the house, got the gas can. I said, are you going to take me back to the truck? He said, you can take the bicycle. <laughs> yeah, 
Listen, I, I've run out of gas several times after that, but every time I knew better. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's just advantages to that. Sometimes we need to work, work it out. My dad wasn't worried about that at all. You get out there and you ride the bike back to your truck and you put the gas in the truck and then it almost didn't start because my battery was no good. And uh, let me tell you, that was a lesson learned. Now, maybe I made choice to not fill up my gas. Maybe I've run out of gas even as an adult, but I know whose fault it is. I didn't blame my parents because my mom and dad gave me problem-solving skills. You know, life hiccups allow us just to figure out how to be successful. And failure is a part of that narrative. We need to learn how to fail so we can learn how to succeed. If we never fail, we never stop and ask ourselves this important question, what should I have done differently? When you ask that question, that's one of the most powerful questions that you can ask because then it opens up the possibility of change. And I know some of that, for some of us, that scares us to death, but some of us as adults today aren't good at change because we didn't learn it when we were kids. If what you're doing today isn't working, it's time to change. And I want my kids to know that, and I think all of us do. Most kids will only spend about 18 years at home with their parents. And I know for a lot of us, we, we think that seems like a long time, but it really isn't. My oldest daughter is about to turn 20. My youngest daughter is about to turn 18 in six months. My kids are about to make the exit from my house. And it seems like yesterday they were just little ones running around. There's a picture on my table right now of, a, of an NYR trip years ago. And here's little Kayla, like, playing in the dirt. And in my heart and in my mind, I got those mixed up, but um, in my heart and mind, she's still that little girl, except she isn't. She's a young lady. Is she prepared to deal with the world that she will be stepping into? That's my responsibility. Because someday that safe environment that I've worked to create will become their own home. They will replace or replicate a lot of the patterns of their upbringing in their new home. That desire to learn and learn lessons in life maybe becomes a college degree that allows them to share that, their knowledge with other people. They get a new appreciation for connecting with people, and they begin to realize that connections with people is really the thing that life is made of. It's that thing that actually is valuable. All the stuff we have and all the things we pursue are only as valuable as the connections that they provide for us with others. We're drawn to the inspirational words of Scripture that give us hope, and not just hope, but give us confidence and courage to face the uncertainty of life because we know that God, our creator, has given us the decipher of how to live it well. You know, success has many different looks, but they all start the same way. If you've never read, then there's an Old Testament book by the name of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, who is a man of power and of influence and great wisdom. And he chose to employ his great wisdom in trying to figure out if there was any purpose and meaning for life without God being in it. And he tried everything. I mean, he, he, if it could be tried, if someone said that there was maybe meaning and purpose there, he poured himself into it. And he would say, I went all in, right? And yet, it's not really the whole book of Ecclesiastes that's important. It's the final summary. The research report that ends up the book of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 12. And it comes down to this in verse 13. Solomon writes, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I've told my girls from when they were very little, I would encourage you to do the same. I really don't care what it is that you become when you're a grown up. As long as you love the Lord and you're serving him. You can be a garbage collector. You could be a school teacher. You could be a medical doctor. You can be a stay-at-home mom. I really don't care what you do. You might go on a foreign mission field, or you might stay right here. You might have a job where you make six figures, or you might barely make four figures. I don't care what you do as long as you love God and you're serving Him. Because nothing else in this world really matters. That great job will someday end in a retirement. The six figures will eventually be sold off or shared with other people. Everything in life comes to nothing except one thing. That is your relationship with God. I want to see my kids in heaven. 
I want to see all the kids that are a far part of the Forest Park family in heaven. And there's a lot of people here that do, and that's why there's so much financial and time investment that goes into preparing those young kids for the stage that follows. So as we close this morning, I just want to talk about the other two Ps. I spent a lot of time on preparation because, guys, that's really where it's at for us. But there's two other things that we have to do, both as a church family and as families. And one of, is, one of them is protection. And I know that we, we think automatically about physical pr- protection. And quite frankly, I think we probably live in a world that is safer from physical danger than any other time in human history. Kids are safe. We have car seats. We have seat belts. We have helmets when we're playing sports. And all those things are good. I hate to see a kid get hurt. But I also believe that maybe we potentially live in one of the most spiritually dangerous periods of human history. You know, Jesus said this in Mark 9, in verse 42. I told you Jesus left kids. Jesus was for kids. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Which, quite frankly, probably all of us on occasion do, and that's why we thank God for his grace. But I want you to listen to what follows. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This is Jesus, the author of love, the grace-giving Savior of the world. But he said, I want you to know something. I'm deadly serious about kids' safety, spiritually. Parents, we have a responsibility to keep our kids safe spiritually. And I'm not talking about just pulling them out of the world and isolating them because that's not why God created us. That's not what Jesus did with us. And that's not what Jesus calls us to do. But I am talking about being aware of the spiritual dangers in the world. You know what? Sometimes we're reticent to tread into this territory because sometimes we find that spiritually dangerous territory to be entertaining, to be kind of fun, kind of passes time for us. But the kinds of things that your kids are exposed to in your home, what are the spiritual effects that those things are having on their hearts and their lives as they're forming? Spiritual danger is a real thing. In fact, Jesus in John 17, and we're just going to break this text down as we wrap up today. Jesus said this in John 17 and verse 15. He said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I've never taken my kids out of the culture. I don't think you should either. I've had some good friends that have done that. Some of my own family has done that. And as they experience the culture for the first time, they're kind of blown back by the culture. They don't know what to do with the culture because they're not equipped for it. God wants us to not just pull ourselves out of the world, but notice what Jesus says, but that you keep them from the evil one. We're to walk with our kids through this broken world. You know, Jesus said something in the Lord's Prayer that I don't think most of us do very often, but I would highly recommend that you guys do this for every kid that you care about in your life. Pray that God keeps them, or God keeps them from Satan. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A line in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Peter talking, or Jesus talking to Peter says, Peter, pray that you will not enter into temptation. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I think that probably every one of us in this room today would have to put Jason or your name in that slot. Jesus encouraged us to pray that God would protect them from spiritual danger. We have a responsibility to discipline our children. And I know it's no fun. We we want to bring smiles to our kids' face, not tears to their eyes. We want to provide them with what they want, not tell them that what they want they can't have because it's not good for them. But it's absolutely essential. The Bible says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And if God disciplines us, then certainly we ought to be disciplining our children. In the 1960s, a guy by the name of Dr. Spock wrote a book about modern parenting techniques. He pretty much said that to discipline kids was to destroy their spirit and take away their creativity. And if you provided discipline in the life of your kids, that you would destroy them. That's what he pretty much said. That's Jason's Cliff Notes version. 
Dr. Spock would write another book in the 1980s that no one knows or cares about that pretty much redacted everything that he had said in the original book. This is a statement that Dr. Spock made years later about his original writing. We have reared a generation of brats. Parents aren't firm enough with their children for fear of losing their love or incurring their resentment. This is a cruel deprivation that we professionals have imposed on mothers and fathers. Of course, we did it with the best of intentions. We didn't realize until it was too late how our know-it-all attitude was undermining the self-assurance of parents. If you're a mom and dad and you feel like something is spiritually detrimental to your children, I pray that you have the courage to get rid of that. Don't worry about what other people are going to say about it. Don't worry about how people are going to talk about that thing. You know, I grew up in a home where we didn't have television. Some of you be like, what in the world? Did you grow up with the, with the Flintstones? Yeah, almost, right? Um, my mom and dad just looked at TV and decided, you know what? We're getting rid of this. And, and I missed a lot of baseball games. But I was protected from a lot of evil. Guys, there's a lot of evil in social media. There's a lot of evil and the unrestricted internet access that we have in the world today. I don't have time to preach to you about all the evil in the world, but I know this. Satan is coming after our children. It's our job to protect them. We've got to do it. As we close, let me remind all of us what Jesus said in John 17 and verse 16. He said, they are not of this world. I didn't take them out of the world, but they're not of this world. Just as I am not of this world. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And then he says this in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If you want to prepare your kids to make the best possible exit in life, may I suggest to you that you speak truth to them. Don't protect them from the truth. Tell them the truth. Kids need to know from a very young age that there are consequences to decisions. And when they observe those decisions in other people's lives, don't make excuses for people's behavior. Tell them the truth. Because they're processing. They're deciding. They're creating a worldview. And they need to have all the truth to make the best choice. Sometimes as parents, I don't know why we do this, but we... We expose our kids to the evil and we protect them from the truth. We need to do the exact opposite. We need to protect our kids and don't expose them to evil more than life necessitates. Certainly not entertainment evil. And let's just completely immerse them in the truth. Now, I'm not saying you dump stuff on your kids that they're not ready for yet. I think you guys know me better than that. But when our kids come up and they ask a question, don't give them the soft answer. Give them the truth. Truth of the matter is that sometimes it's not them that's not ready to confront the truth. It's us. We're not protecting them from the truth. We're protecting us from the truth. We want to believe certain things are true and they aren't. But the Word of God always reveals our intentions. Jesus continues in verse 18 of John 17. He said, I've sent them into the world the same way you sent me into the world. He's talking to God here. I am dedicating myself to this holy work. I am doing for them so that they too will use the truth to be holy. Most important tool that your kids can have in their pocket is understanding what God says is true for their lives. Every Jewish young person would have read and known the Shema. It was something that they quoted each and every morning and each and every evening. It came from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, and it began like this, hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk with them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You will bind them as a sign on your hand and you will write them as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house 
and on your gates. Jesus gave us a simple formula. God gave us a simple formula for parenting right there. He said, example is king. These words I commend you today shall be on your heart. They'll never be on our kids' heart, church family, until they're on ours. Our kids will embody what we're passionate about. If you love football, they're going to love football. If you like car racing, they're going to love car racing. If you like nature, they're going to love nature. If you love the Lord, they too will love the Lord. God said, make sure it's written on your heart first. Teach them diligently to your children. Teaching is an important part of that, pouring into them, saying, this is why I do what I do. This is why we react this way. And then create those opportunities. Talk about it when you sit in the house, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. If you're a parent here today, may the Lord be with you. If you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent today, if you're a part of the church family, we have an enormous task. It's a generation of kids that are growing up both in our homes and in our community that will soon be the leaders of the world. Are they prepared to lead? It's our responsibility as much as it lies within us to prepare them to be ready. But we are not doing this alone. We are doing this with the ultimate Father. His wisdom and His advice, His strength and His spirit will equip us to do the job that we may not be able to do alone. I want to challenge you today to do a couple things. I want to challenge every one of us in this room today to pray for the children of this church. Those who are little tiny kids, those who are in high school and in college, pray that the Lord will keep them and that Satan will not tempt them to follow and fall away. I want you to pray for every one of the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and people who are pouring into the hearts of those, of those kids that God will give them wisdom, give them courage, and give them determination to see this task through. If you're a mom and dad that are struggling with parenting, you just need to talk to somebody. There's somebody in this room that's dealt with it before, probably something worse. Don't suffer in silence. Catch one of us before you leave today. Let's talk about that. Let's stand together, church. If you have a need, please come as we sing.
my righteousness oh god how i need you you may be seated every sunday as a church family we pause to remember just how much we need christ and this morning mr banks is going to come and he's going to remind us that the cost of our need was the blood of jesus and the body of jesus that every sunday we should pause and we should thanks give thanks but we should also remember the enormity of our own sin and our own brokenness mr banks he just gave a communion meditation you don't need me anymore uh with that being said i take my responsibility very seriously at this time of communion. We are here for many, many different reasons. We gather together to have fellowship with one another, to worship God in spirit and truth, to sing praises to his name, and to study his word, and to have communion everything that's happened so far is to bring us to that point that we can speak honestly with God. All the trials and struggles of life, all the distractions have been dimmed. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 6. We'll start with verse 1. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it's going to be quite a bit. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus, Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like Like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to skip down to the end of the chapter. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord the time of communion the table of thanksgiving 
thank God for grace. Thank God that he loved us enough to send his one and only begotten son to redeem us through his sacrifice on the cross, paying the debt that we owe. And he sits at the right hand of the Father right now, waiting for God to say, go get my children, bring them home. Worship him at this time in spirit and truth. Be thankful for the gift of salvation that broke the shackles of sin, the the shackles of death off of you if you're in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together to worship you, to have sweet fellowship one with another, but especially to have fellowship with you and commune with you. We pray, Lord, that you will forgive us of our many sins. We pray, Lord, that you will bless the emblems and the bread that represents your body that was sacrificed and the blood, your blood that was shed for us, that was poured out and not spilt. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to please you more and more each and every day as we strive to walk in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. If, if you're like Bruce, uh, he, said, he said we should pray that we don't spill on ourselves because these little kits are hard to open, and they, they are. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully everybody's got it done now. Okay, let's uh, stand for a word of prayer. God in heaven, I do thank you, Lord, for this day and this opportunity to be in your house and to come before you and sing songs of praise and hear your word preached and take your uh, bread and, and uh, juice to represent your body and blood. Thank you for this opportunity to commune with each other and to share our faith with each other and to be encouraged and, uh, by being together. Thank you for this church body, this congregation here. Bless it and bless Forest Park that it might make a difference in this community and the surrounding area. Bless Jason and McKay and all those that are involved in ministry here. Thank you for them. Pray for people all over the world, Lord, that are worshiping in places where sometimes they're in danger, that you might protect them and bless them, keep them safe, and thank you for them. Pray for the old people, Lord, those that can't be with us today that are ill and hurting. We just pray you help them through this time. Pray for the many on the sick list this morning. We pray for Kevin Bertrand, who had a heart and kidney issues, for Jerry Richard, who's ill, for Chris Stakes with his hip and his back, Mackenzie Olivier with her knee, Nationwide Youth Roundup coming up in a few weeks, Boo Onsley with his back, Tracy Bateman, Miss Vicky, we thank you that she's doing better and here with us today. Pray for myself with my back, for my cousin Carl Miller, who had a neck surgery and is having a hard time, for Miss Joanne Lubier, who also is going through a hard time with the chemo and the treatment for her cancer, for Gary Cotro, who has terminal cancer, for Francis Miller with cancer, for Annabelle Broussard, for more, uh, Darwin McGee, who has lung cancer and is having a biopsy tomorrow, Lord. Pray for Peggy uh, Marvin, who had a heart attack, for David Lindenau, Kim's brother, who's uh, battling diabetes and may lose his legs. 
Uh, we thank you for little Lexi, uh, uh, her and the little baby, uh, Addie, that they're healthy and doing well. We pray for Miss Beverly with her pain, for Deborah May, who's recovering, for Ryan Stovall, who also went through a surgery and recovering, for John Mouton, who had a back surgery yesterday, emergency back surgery, that he can heal and do well. We pray for uh, my mom, who's in the hospital at this time, uh, low, uh, low blood count, for uh, Math. Trahon, who broke his wrist, for Gracie uh, Sanchez, we thank you that she's doing better. For Donna Oye and Jeff, they're both having troubles, Lord, and still hurting, and pray you be with them. Thank you to Catherine, my wife is doing better, pray you be with her sinus infection. We pray for uh, Robert Doucette's family as he passed, for Patricia Lejeune, who's battling cancer, for Sandra Hardwick with cancer, for Brant Johnson, who, had, who was in an accident. And we just pray for all these needs, Lord, all these physical needs, but even more importantly, for their souls, that they might be seeking you. We thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all he's done for us. Be with us this day as we go our separate ways. Help us to live for you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.